Who are the Mountain Meisters? Committing to the goal and galvanizing you and your team behind that one single focus. Being at peace with that fear and being okay with it. You gain a real appreciation for your life and for what you have. Learn about their extreme lives on rock, snow, and ice five days a week with your hosts, Russell Wilcox and Ben Shank. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Mountain Meister. This is Ben. Hey, guys. It's Russell. Today on the show, we have Mike Closer. Mike was the captain of Team Nike Adventure Racing, where his results include, but are definitely not limited to, four world championships, three Eco Challenge titles, and five Primal Quest championships. Mike was named Adventure Racer of the Year by Competitor Magazine, Male Athlete of the Year by Adventure Sport Magazine, and he recently earned the Everest Award, which is one of the greatest achievements in climate sports. Mike, for our listeners, you were also a world champion mountain bike racer for 12 years, but we're just going to stick with the adventure racing for this interview. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, guys. Great to be on it. Yeah, Mike. So Ben and I get some super competitive people on this show, and we were doing a little research, and you just blow everybody out of the water. (laughs) And I want to just kind of highlight a few quotes that I saw in a Sports Illustrated article that you were in. Uh, I'm not sure I'm ready for these, but go ahead. I don't race for anything less than first. And also, not trying to win is unacceptable. So let us know how you got so competitive. Ah, my wife. (laughs) (laughs) she doesn't she doesn't like it when i come home losing (laughs) what happens you don't really want to know that do you i think well i I grew up in a family of 10 children and so i suppose we were competing for the food on the table or now really um i think it was probably a lot to do with just years of competition and you know getting a taste of success and winning and you know i think if you look at golfers football players, you know, hockey players, um, cyclists, any, any of these athletes out there, triathletes, whatever it might be, they start to win and they get a passion for, you know, that, that feeling, I guess, or that experience that, you, you know, you realize, hey, I'm capable of doing this. Why should I settle for less if I can avoid it? You know, if it's, if it's within the wheelhouse to, to win, then obviously that's what I'm going to be out after. Yeah, it sounds like a compounding effect. Um, And let's talk more about adventure racing because I don't think that everybody that's listening to the show knows exactly what it is. I read somewhere that adventure racing is said to be the toughest endurance sport on the planet. Can you explain to us what exactly adventure racing is? It's really a sport that is, you know, a team sport, usually co-ed, three to four people on the team. And it's a multi-day uh, for the expedition races, and there's a shorter, you know, shorter races as well as like sprint races, which may be one to three hours for say. Uh, then you might have a twelve-hour or a twenty-four-hour type race, and so it's kind of morphed into a variety of different, I guess you might say, levels of the sport when it comes to duration and so forth. And adventure racing usually includes various sports like mountain biking, hiking, navigating, paddling, rope skills. Uh, Sometimes they throw in animal 
uh, riding, as in horses oh, wow. and camels. And <laughs> I did not see that. <laughs> That's an research. Yeah. Is the purpose to get from point A to point B using any means, or do you have to? Let's say you get to a river. Do you have to kayak down that river? Um, no, that's a good good question. Sometimes it's uh, it's a matter of okay, this is the route you need to take. So they they may allow uh, a couple of options. Like in we had a situation, and I think it was Borneo in the Eco Challenge, where we were you know point A to B in this particular section. We were on foot, and this is another one of these uh, disciplines they kind of created: canyoneering, coast steering mountaineering is obviously a sport glacier travel this sort of stuff but in this situation in borneo you can imagine the conditions there quite wet and humid and and so forth well we we're in this river valley and so we just got fed up with side hilling on this greasy clay type vegetated Mm -hmm. jungle surface and so we just said hey screw this you know we got our backpacks on and we'll just go jump in the river and swim and drift down the river uh, to you know make ground up and anyway um, some of the other teams uh, were a little disgruntled to hear that we did that but the rules didn't say we couldn't so you kind of go by the rule book you pull it out and you look <laughs> at things and, and sometimes it's borderline questionable and this case um, is acceptable and Mark Burnett who is was the producer of the Eco Challenge and you might know him from Survivor, Contender, The Voice, uh, Prentice, all those. He's the Mr. Reality Television. Anyway, he he kind of liked that creativity in uh, in his uh, events, and he kind of condoned. I guess he didn't really necessarily re- suggest or recommend, but he accepted the fact that people are going to be creative, and he kind of found that to be uh, an interesting component when it came to. Uh, televising and you know publicizing the events and how people were successful or not right yeah it sounds like creative in your problem solving that's cool yeah exactly so you know we we'd have uh, one horse and you're it's for, for say <laughs> to carry our gear or camel whether it's in morocco or um abu dhabi or in nepal in the ray galas and so uh, we were allowed to have a rider or packs and so you get kind of creative and you you put all the packs on the horse or something of this nature yeah. but you know it's just <laughs> just a means of moving as quickly and efficiently as possible yeah it seems like a ton of fun and, and there's so many different things that you can actually do in one of these races how are you focusing your training to really get the most efficient training method to win the race well when you know i i should back up to the beginning when you introduce me i haven't participate in any real adventure races in a few years i've kind of semi or pseudo retired you might say um but i was the captain of the nike team and so when we were participating at a full you know schedule i guess you might say we had a lot of different events on the on the calendar throughout the year and and so uh, they ranged from you know as as I mentioned, sprint races to full-on expedition races. And so it was a pretty hefty calendar, and we had a pretty strong team, obviously, and a lot of successes went along with that. But uh, we were putting a lot of energy into trying to hone our skills that weren't necessarily our strengths. And I kind of always approached sports in that sense when I was mountain bike racing or skiing or whatever it might be. You know, it's always easy to get out and just kind of, cruise along and 
on cruise control and in the areas of the sport that you might be talking about that, that are your strengths, but you really, what you need to do is improve your weaknesses. So if I was our paddling, that might not be the strongest. And that was pretty much the nature of the game with us when it came to competing against the, the Aussies or the Kiwis, because they're just all awesome paddlers down there. Mm-hmm. You know, we try to hone our paddling skills as much as possible. Navigation is another thing. You know, you can never be too good, or even if you're, rank the best in the world you're still not infallible there's times when we're out there competing and we're you know up against some of the best navigators in the sport and we end up pulling ahead because we made a good choice and they made a bad choice or you know they they made a um, mistake or whatever it might be and so and obviously the roles were reversed many times (laughs) as well so anyway it's it's really i think going back to the question is uh, we would really try to focus on our improving our weaknesses and whatever the disciplines may be. And, and even the rope skills, you know, it's a lot more skills than it is technique and rock climbing, for say. You know, we're not very rarely did we do anything, you know, over five, eight pitch. And it was always roped in and, and a kind of a time section or something of that nature when it came to the technical aspect of climbing. But we did have to understand how to Jumar well and rig in for the repels and you know we do thousand foot repels at time and more than that for ascents on jumar so we had a lot of sections and so forth during those uh, particular events and where that rope skill was a part of it yeah you know when i originally looked at this sport and you alluded to other more conventional sports earlier you talked about football and golf and the, kind of the competitive nature <laughs> but when i originally looked at these sports i said all of this is centered around fitness, and it seems like the most fit team is always going to win. So whoever works the hardest, trains the hardest, is going to win. But now that I hear you talk about this, it sounds like it's a lot more about skill and navigating than it is just about being fit. That's a big part. You know, we continually evolved our team to, as the sport evolved, to become faster and, and more competitive. We felt we needed to obviously stay there on that level as, as much as we potentially or possibly could. And so we're always in search of the best athletes uh, to be on the team that had the mo- most variety and, and talent in the various skills mm-hmm. or disciplines. Yeah, so this strategy you had for training, could you apply it to anything else in your life or is it more very specified on adventure racing. Do you work on your weaknesses in your day-to-day life? Oh, yeah, probably not as much as I should. (laughs) But, yes. And honestly, when it comes to any sport, I kind of refer back to to cycling. Like, I was, always have been a decent climber, but you can always work to improve that. And there's certain things you can do, you know, one being losing weight, but more, you know, just getting out and doing it. It's like anything, you know, if you're, playing tennis or hitting the golf ball or swinging the baseball bat, you know, or shooting hoops, you know, you practice, practice, practice. And the more you practice, usually the better you get. Uh, sometimes you need a little coaching along the way. But <laughs> but anyway, uh, when I look back to my mountain bike days, I would work a lot on my technical skills. I was a pretty good technical rider, but, you know, when it's kind of free time in a race, if you're your skills are good. Uh, you know, another one that that can be related to specifically would be uh, AT skiing or randonnée racing, as they call it. You know, the, the transitions and triathlons are the same. 
if you can become proficient at your transitions, it's basically free time. Mm-hmm. You know, or you, you give up time if you're slow. And so in adventure racing, that was a huge component, you know. And it wasn't only the fitness end that we were just talking about that offered us a, a lot of success we had. It was strategy. It was making best of our most efficient use of our time and transitions and wherever it may have been, if we were sleeping for pulling over for a rest and then also the strategy of that when it came down to realizing and, and knowing how to manage your sleep, realizing how much you might need and, and managing it over the course of a five, seven day race um, and when to sleep. So we would typically sleep a little earlier than a lot of the other top teams and we'd fall behind a little bit, you know, a couple of days into the race, it, it started to pay off. And, and that was a, a huge factor for us, I think, and the overall success of our, our team. For the listeners, Mike is super known for not just being the most fit guy out there, not just having the discipline, but he comes out every day with this attitude. And he talks about how important that attitude is on a day-to-day basis, no matter what you're doing. If you had four Mike closers on your team. Would you guys win Trouble. every? <laughs> would you win every race, or do you really need that difference in personality? Uh, I think when I said trouble, I meant it in that respect. I think you really do need to have a a bit of a diversity there, a balance, you know. And that's where Tobin came in. You know, he just kind of this level-headed guy that you might be a bit more of a a thinker out there, uh, as well as a doer. But you know, he might say, "Oh, you know." contraire you know this or that um to what we might be thinking but you know very very little disputed issues or concerns we would have as as a team with michael but you know i think that balance was a big factor and it can also be a problem the other way you know you get a lot of type a personalities on a team and you know you got to learn to manage and work together there and realize that you know we all have our opinions and, and some of us may have stronger opinions than others and the way i always looked at it was it wasn't a um, dictatorship out there on our team it was more of a you know a democracy where we would take the majority you know we would if there was four of us on a team and three of us felt strong about this route or that decision uh, that's the way we go you know and it, it was something you just say okay look i didn't win this one but Hopefully it was a good choice. We're going. And I think that paid off a lot to have that. And having a team in general with a, a pretty even uh, keel or balance about how we approach things. As an adventure racer, what is your biggest pet peeve? Oh, whining. <laughs> whining. <laughs> and I'm sure that applies to, I mean, you're a father too. So the whining probably applies there too, right? Uh, <laughs> yes. So brutal for me to cope with. Do you ever find yourself whining? Yes, I do. And, <laughs> and it's usually because I'm just fed up with something that the organization or you know, the way I'm dealing with something, you know, and it's like because I'm not mentally in it or something, you know, like I just keep making stupid mistakes that I shouldn't make for say, whether it's navigating or, you know, just bike riding. It doesn't matter, you know, if you're doing something because you know you can do it better and you're just letting your mind lapse. And then I... Uh, you know, I I know I've been caught whining out there, but it's usually because I'm fed up with something about the way they, you know, they just piled on miles and miles of this heinous terrain or something like that. <laughs> but usually 
the more difficult or the, the more brutal the conditions, the more I, I like it because it usually brings the stronger to the forefront, you know? Yeah, I was uh, reading a story about you, and it's pretty obvious that your whining level is at a different level than, than anyone else. I mean, you, you really you don't whine. I mean, you could say you do, but I don't think you do. Because I, I was reading this story, and you were getting ready for this race, biggest race of the season, and a dog bites your ankle. And you end up having to take all these antibiotics, and it's like days before the race. Everyone's like, you need to get a replacement. You can't do this. And then you end up going for over 400 miles, 40,000-foot elevation change. And I'm not sure if you guys won or not, but for you to just survive something like that after being out, you shouldn't have even been walking, I don't think. <laughs> so it's just, it's unbelievable. Well, you know, I was fortunate there. It was actually about 10 days before the race, and it was a dog bit my foot, and it was the soft tissue part of my ball, my foot. And I had... Yeah, I've been bit by dogs before. Dogs, my my kids tease me about being a magnet to dogs. That they come and bite me. I mean, it seems like every year I'm getting bit by a dog somewhere. But that particular year, I didn't realize that um, the dog uh, saliva was so contaminated with bacteria. But anyway, within about an hour, my foot from being bit, it, it just swelled up huge, and I went straight to the emergency room and had him treated and i was put on iv antibiotics for about eight days prior to going to the race and i had oral antibiotics for another month and essentially my foot was just really infected and swollen and so i had to reduce that through the antibiotics and then i was fortunate that being sponsored by nike we had a footwear sponsorship and so they got me two size larger so and footwear so shoes cycling hunt, running whatever they were um and they would cut out the insoles for me and in in that area basically create a void that the swollen portion of the foot and the irritated portion of the foot wouldn't be affected so much it's you know it's kind of one of those things you just deal with and um you know it's kind of like up in canada i remember before the world championships up there i had kicked the register um the night before the race and busted a couple of toes on my foot and I looked down and they're pointing outward and I'm like, oh, this isn't good. <laughs> so I just took a little uh, athletic tape, taped them to the other toes and, uh, you know, went on with it. Not much you can do with that situation. It's kind of like broken ribs. You just get on with it and deal with it. Well, Mike gets on with, <laughs> right. it, deals with it. Most people are like, well, maybe next year. So anyway, how did that race go with the foot that's two sizes too big? Oh, uh, good, good. We, um, it was the Primal Quest up in uh, Tahoe, actually. And we, uh, God, I think we were pretty much up front for most all the race. I think we took the lead the yeah, second night after sleeping because I remember we pulled over into this camp at one of the ski areas, I think it was Kirkwood, and we were right in front of, I think we were in front of another team, actually might have been Seagate at the time. And we pulled in to sleep, and it's morning hours and daylight, and these guys are like, what are they doing? You know, and we got in there an hour, hour and a half ahead or something like that. And we said, hey, just wake us when they come in. Uh, let us know and we'll get out and chase after them. And so we'd had a couple, an hour or two rest at least anyway, whereas they hadn't they'd been going through the night. And so anyway, the uh, you know, the whole sleeping thing, that strategy came into play. And, and then in that particular race, we ended up, you know, just kind of maintaining a lead throughout. I think we you know, we did get penalized, as did, C I think Seagate got penalized as well for 
um, being on a paved road they shouldn't have been on this trekking section or something like that. But we got penalized. Um, oh gosh, I can't remember what it was for. And so we all we had to sit out this uh, this penalty time penalty of several hours in this as you might call it a penalty box in the, before the last paddling stage of the race. But we had had built up enough of a lead that. It wasn't too huge of a factor. Oh, I know what <laughs> the penalty was. We got Michael Tobin um, got hit while we were inline skating through a uh, town along lake, the lake. And I can't remember what all transpired there other than that um, we got blamed for being on the shoulder or something like this because we're crossing over from one bike lane to another. I don't remember. You got hit by another biker or skater? Uh, by a car. Oh, by a and car. so we went over the hood of the car. Oh, wow. <laughs> and that, that was actually a penalty? We, yeah, we got penalized because our team got hit. <laughs> that was kind of the joke of the whole thing, right? Oh, wow. But anyway. <laughs> so one of the first times that I've heard people joke about getting hit by a car. No, I, I, can tell you, I can tell you some other near-death stories about Tobin. I'll tell you, oh, my God, that guy. Yeah, have you ever had any near-death experiences on one of the races? I suppose I've had a few, but you try to put those behind you as quickly as possible. <laughs> I know that... Uh, Primal Quest Utah, and I wasn't alone in this situation. It was the whole team here. But um, there was a point when we went up this canyon, Hell Roaring Canyon, I think it was called, off of the Colorado River. And it was 130 degrees when we got to the top of this oh, Jumar up this canyon. Yeah, the, uh, the climbing rigging guy up at the top was sitting under a big boulder in the shade. I think it was about 115, 120 there. Wow. And we, you know, out in the sun, he had a, his thermometer out there, and it was 130 degrees. And I honestly didn't think humans could survive in this type of uh, <laughs> uh, heat, but I guess we proved uh, differently there. And then we weren't alone. Obviously, there was, you know, 50 or 60 other teams out there racing at various points along the course as well. Uh, I do remember one of the segments of that race in the heat. I think it was the last day we just left one of the transition areas and at the transition areas, because it was so hot, they had coolers with ice and they had cooled down Gatorade and ice water and so forth. So we filled up our camelback bladders uh, with ice water. And so I remember as we were walking along, it was just so brutal along this desert uh, ravine, uh, brutally hot. And we were just all kind of in this state of heat exertion, I guess you might say. I remember taking the camelback bladder and saying, you know, taking a sip of the water and then I spit it on the back of Michael Toe's neck to help cool him down because it was just, that's where it was, you know, obviously your core temperature is regulated quite highly mm-hmm. in certain areas in the back of the neck. And I remember Tobin's like, I'm just dying. I mean, I go here. And he's like, what'd you do? Because <laughs> whatever you did, keep doing it. The ultimate team bonding. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that was one means of surviving those elements. To the listeners, if you're listening to this, you need to stop complaining about the heat because <laughs> it's not. It's probably not 130 degrees. It's all relevant, right? <laughs> all this stuff you're doing is just so intense. And it just seems like even on a trip you just had there where it's 130 degrees, every piece of equipment that you're carrying has got to be so important because any ounce extra that you're carrying is just complete dead oh, weight. Yeah. So. Uh, what's one piece of gear that is just so important that you have on one of these uh, adventure races? The thing that you pretty much always have with you besides 
footwear for say would be your backpack and over the years you know we were racing with solomon and golite and nike and and uh actually north face for a period a uh, short period but nike for uh, quite a length of time and we spent uh, a lot of time with all those manufacturers helping to design gear for them and for our use and test and so forth and and the backpack was obviously a, a main piece of equipment that you wanted to have the best out there available or best available that was out there and so there was always you know the manufacturer's ideas on what they wanted to see and we always had our ideas on what we wanted in a pack and so um, you always kind of had to sacrifice along the way mm. for those purposes or reasons and so as my career was winding down uh, racing at, at the top level at, I mean all of year long you know I, I just started to produce my own packs and so these packs uh, under the brand of out there are, have become a very popular item in the venture racing world not only the venture racing world but due to the nature of my background and that they're designed primarily or essentially around adventure racing and the accessibility and all the features that come with that. Uh, when I say accessibility or access to items within your pack mm. uh, and the way they wear and wear on your back or carry on your back and the, you know, the durability and the weight and so forth. So all these elements are included in the design and, and manufacturing of my pack. So um, that, to me, would probably have to be the most important on a regular basis and so what improvements did you really need to make on the packs that the companies weren't doing was it weight or design or both i guess it was all of the above really Uh, i mentioned you know about accessibility and versatility uh you know you for say in a expedition race you're usually carrying around a 30 liter pack because sometimes you need a lot more than that but you would just cram it all on your pack and that was part of the the feature, you know, one of the design features that I incorporated in mine where you have a lot of mesh pockets on the external body of the pack. You have loops and straps and um, means of mesh uh, tucked away to put a helmet in that you could zip out of the pocket and put your helmet and other climbing gear for, say, on the back and and means of carrying PFDs on the backpack and paddles that would break down our carbon fiber paddles and footwear and you know, all the food essentials that you might need, your climbing gear, you know, it just went on and on. And so all those items that I just mentioned in my packs, there's usually a place to put these items. That's kind of, in a nutshell, trying to tweak these products that the manufacturers, Nike or whomever it might be, were offering us and saying, look, this works, but it doesn't really work to our best uh, interest here. We need to tweak it this way or put this on or that, you know. Yeah, no, I definitely understand and would probably trust you over anybody else if I was looking for (laughs) a pack such as that. We will throw that resource and everything else that we've discussed here today on our website, mtmmeister.com, under your Meister profile page. And, Mike, to kind of wrap this up, we want to finish the interview with an inspirational bang and Russell, okay. <laughs> and I, Russell and I had a pretty serious discussion before this interview and you know a lot of fighting back and forth and we finally decided that it was fair to say that you're a pretty motivated human being. So <laughs> can you can you provide our listeners one one specific piece of advice which will really get them motivated to take on their next challenge? 
Well, you know what? Um, a lot of things can be said here, but I think one of the most important things that I try to remind people when they ask about, you know, how do I take on a sport like this and just completely burn out or um, how do I manage to be successful at this and so forth. So really, in simple terms, go out and keep it fun. You know, um, it may not be the most creative answer you're looking for, but it is one of these things. Like if you go out and do a sport, just, you know, let's say running or cycling, or I'll throw those out there because you're, you're needing to, to fine tune the engine, right? Mm-hmm. Um, triathlon the same. There's other sports that could be said for the same. If you just grind away interval after interval, day after day, the same type of routine, and it just becomes something that you just have little interest in doing, but you do it because you need to, mm-hmm. you're going to burn out on it eventually. So that was the great thing about adventure racing for me, coming from a cycling background and, and skiing and so forth. Uh, adventure racing has just so many different sports that mm-hmm. you're, you're utilizing or uh, participating in or um, doing within the event over the course of the race that it was great because it was kind of a fresh breath of air for me to be able to learn how to do better with the rock climbing skills or the paddling kayaking or sea, sea kayaking or whitewater rafting whatever it is you know having the diversity there and so really just however you can in whatever sport it is you're doing try to make it fun you know and and just mix it up and don't grind away if you can avoid it with just one sport get out and venture off into the path of different type of outdoor sports things that you might not think you would have liked before but once you get into it it's like hey why didn't i do this earlier or sooner yeah yeah russell will probably laugh at me but one thing seriously which made running more fun to me was listening to podcasts so (laughs) (laughs) yeah hey i used to listen to books on tape yeah oh (laughs) audio books are great and I say on tape because back in the day, yeah, right. like, yeah cassettes. <laughs> yeah, those don't skip too, so you're all set. Right? That's right. <laughs> exactly. Now we got the little thumb drives and all the little all the gadgets, 10 gigabyte yeah. gadgets out there. There are, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, well, yeah, thank you so much for coming on the show. And like Ben said earlier, we'll put all these resources on uh, our website, mtnmeister.com. Definitely check out Mike's website if you guys want any more stories. It's just endless. You could spend an entire month researching this guy. But it's uh, MikeCloser.com with a K. And, yeah, thank you so much for coming on the show. Guys, thanks for picking me to be a part of your program here. It's been fun chatting with you guys. And I'm sure that uh, you guys will get a few laughs out of all this (laughs) in the end here. Thanks, Mike. Hello, Meister fans. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Mike Closer. It's a pretty intense dude. Russell, tell me about a time when you wish you had Instagram. We went to Mount Greylock in Massachusetts, and it's a group of about six of us. I was the most experienced person there, and there was a big storm coming our way. And we could see it. It was raining hard. The weather said it was going to be bad. Winds up to 50 miles an hour. My gut, since I was the leader, said that we'd be okay. And so we decided to carry on and go for it. Basically, all of our stuff gets drenched. It's raining so hard. We just have to basically sprint with 40-pound backpacks to our campsite, try to get everything set up. And it was just a miserable experience. But the way we looked with all of our gear 
so wet as a team. Everyone had smiles on their faces. And if only I had Instagram, I would have captured that Mountain Meister moment. Nice. And Meister fans, we want to see what you're up to. So if you have a Mountain Meister moment, snap a photo, post it to Instagram, and tag us so we can see it. Join us next time when we have Derek Lennon on the show. Derek works for one of the only cat skiing operations in Argentina called Ski Arpa. Catch you next time.